0: One of the cool things about being a nomad is the gatherings, the community gatherings where we hang around the fire, and, uh, the people, there's dogs and people and all kinds of great conversations when, uh, when we're out here, and so it is, uh, I don't even know what day it is, but, uh, my friend Robert, whose site we're located at right now, his freezer broke, and he's got all these steaks, and, uh, chicken breasts and pork chops that he's got to cook so we're all gathered around to get as much of that as we can <laughs> and one of the things that has come up in conversation tonight is the idea that being a nomad is an either or choice or either our choice between corporate life back in the world back in the land of the bricks and sticks back in the so-called anthill versus the halcyon uh, freedom of uh, being a nomad and it, it, it's it's a it's a it's something I'm passionate about especially when charlatans and other people go around telling people who are doing this or people who aren't doing this, that this is how you do it. This is what you're supposed to do. This is how it's supposed to be. And this is what, if you're back in the world, you should be doing this. This is the right way to live. You should aspire to nomad life. We're gonna talk about that in podcast 1087, The Bob Davis Podcasts. So if you like my podcasts and uh, you wanna help, best thing to do is to subscribe to the Bob Davis podcast on iTunes. That's what helps the feeds, one. To, you can go to thebobdavispodcast.com, look for the picture of mobile podcast command. Just underneath that is an oval yellow button that says donate. Click on it, make a donation. Uh, just saw one come through for five bucks. Thank you very much. I forgot your name because I don't have my phone right here, but I'll mention it again. And many, many others who have sent me uh, any anywhere from five to you know, a lot more money, and I really, really appreciate it. That goes in the tank, it goes in the cooler, and that's pretty much it. We're not getting rich out here. I appreciate the donations as always, uh, regardless of how much. I appreciate the support, and uh, and thanks again for listening to the Bob Davis podcasts. If you've been listening to the podcasts, reading my blog, you know, uh, you know my story, and you know, if you know me, you know how I operate and operate it. I started traveling in this vehicle, Mobile Podcast Command, back in 2014, and at the time I was doing various types of what what I would refer to as news coverage, sort of an independent journalism type thing, and I would drive all over the country and go find things to talk about, events that were going on. Example, uh, the pipeline protest, or a political convention, or the political primaries, that kind of stuff. In 2020, I chucked it all. I gave everything up. I sold everything. I got rid of my crappy duplex and hit the road and made the decision to hit the road permanently and became a nomad. I've never watched a video. I never did any research. I didn't look up how to be a nomad. I didn't ask what kind of battery I was supposed to have. I didn't try to make a determination as to what whether I should have a refrigerator or a cooler. I didn't do any of that stuff. I literally filled everything up in the truck, jumped in, and took off, and began my adventure. And if you listen to these podcasts over the last uh, three years, you'll hear this adventure and getting rid of certain things and adding certain things and going through the process. And I still have not consulted any of the so-called nomad authorities, on any subject uh involving this life because in my view the value of life is uh in self-discovery so so you have something you're passionate about you teach yourself you discover yourself and i know it is true that You know, if 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 we all had to self-discover, there's lots we wouldn't learn. We wouldn't know how to build a jet engine. We didn't we wouldn't understand how to build a radio. There's things I get that. But for me, in terms of this particular thing, this subject, if I decided to do this on a boat, I would have to get a captain's license. So I would have to study how to be a boat captain on the sea. I'd have to go from square one to square 243 and learn how to pilot a boat, run a boat, and the responsibilities of being a captain of a boat. In this particular instance, I don't have to do that. So uh, this is just me. I'm not telling you that this is how you should do it or telling people that are doing it you're doing it wrong or right or whatever. And I, I, I start this out, I preface what I'm gonna talk about with this because i want people to understand i'm a unique in a a unique personality in the sense that uh, i don't conform uh to the idea that you should get as much information as you possibly can before you do something this doing this nomad life whatever you want to call it it never occurred to me as being something that's difficult it seemed natural and easy for me and Uh, I don't have a big RV, and I don't have all kinds of things and tools and toys, and, you know, I have a solar panel. That's the extent of my uh, purchases, and I, I, I don't really want advice, and I don't seek advice. We sit around the campfire talking about stuff, and you do learn a lot of stuff when you're sitting around a campfire and you're gathering information, but it's not the same as spending all your time watching videos trying to figure out how to do A, B, or C when it comes to this. The reason I bring that up is now suddenly being a nomad is an ism or a movement and according to some of these people who are on YouTube who are making money off the whole thing and Telling people that they have to do this and they have to do that and this is how they should do this and this is how they should do that under the guise of helping people. And I suppose if you help people, great. There are a number of these people that have decided now suddenly that there is a philosophy that needs to be followed or should be followed or might be followed regarding this idea of nomad life. As positioned against the idea of life back in the quote unquote anthill back in the world as i refer to it back in the land of bricks and sticks or whatever anybody out here calls whatever they came from there's all kinds of names for it i would hesitate to call it an anthill because that's not how i see it and uh, i just prefer to say back in the world because we do feel that we are out in the world and i have often said is this a dream or is that a dream because this does feel like a dream life to me However, I do not feel that this is any kind of a natural way to live. Uh, Often, and for many people, this can be very difficult to do this. Some people just can't do it. It's just too hard. It isn't hard for me because I was ready to do this. But it's positioned by these people, who I think are charlatans, who who are basically saying, um, you know, you should do this. This is the way it is supposed to be. You're supposed to live this way as a nomad versus living in a corporate world. Now, I've often made disparaging comments about suburban life or city life. Notwithstanding the fact that for many, many, many years, I lived in the suburbs or the cities and I enjoyed as much as anyone else walking down the block to get a Starbucks or walking down the block to get Chinese food or walking the other way down the block to get a hamburger or enjoyed, as I did in Chicago, taking my son to the Salt and Pepper Diner, which is up by Wrigley Field when uh, I don't know what game. It was probably five or six of the World Series. And just feeling that and, you know, fun kind of environment where all the cops in their Chicago police leather jackets are standing around in the in the salt and pepper diner watching on TV. And people had pulled their TVs out onto their front lawns. And, you know, it was just this wonderful, convivial and excited uh, spirit uh, to be out and support the Cubs. So, so I loved city life, and I, and, I, and I lived in an apartment on the corner of a, a very busy section of uptown Minneapolis, the grocery store across the street I referred to as my refrigerator, because I didn't have a very big refrigerator, and I didn't need it, because anytime I needed something, I went across the street to the grocery store and got whatever I wanted, cold, hot, or whatever. Urban life, especially at that time, had its pluses, and corporate life especially at that time, had its pluses. Uh, Now, my corporate life was as a creative in the radio business, which is basically show business. And so I never really enjoyed any kind of stability uh, because you're constantly getting fired or things, plans change, things change, people change, people get fired. I mean, that's just the the way it is. So uh, while I enjoyed uh, income and I enjoyed uh, quote-unquote corporate life, Or working for the man or whatever you want to call it I never resented the man I never resented the companies I never developed a a philosophy which said well I worked for that company for 40 years and I gave them everything and they made millions off of me well they didn't make millions off of you they made millions off of the collective group of workers which uh, they had and those people were paid and you were paid so you got whatever you got for your labor and other people got whatever they got for their labor. And those who basically start businesses and take them public or uh, are involved in finance and so forth, they understand how to make even more money. It's not wrong. It's providing a service and getting paid for it. And I I don't that that's that I would have to do three pro, uh, podcasts to get into that. But to try to keep this on a, you know, a really nice copacetic vibe the, the the problem here is that it's the characterization suddenly of um, people in vehicles of some kind, broken down RVs, vans, cars, uh, and so forth, being out here full time, and to characterize this as the natural way to live your life this is what you're supposed to do is live in your car or your van out here in the desert and that you should want to live this way because this is the way human beings were supposed to live and the justifications for that are basically false or pseudo intellectualism or pseudo psychology Uh, In other words, corporate life is a... So what I'm saying is basically they're giving you a choice when they say, if you're in corporate life, you should basically, and remember the key word here is should, you should basically quit everything you're doing and become a nomad because you're living a false life and that nomad life is the right choice and the right way to live. And I'm saying that is a false choice. First of all, when you do that, you're stereotyping those who you think stereotyped you as being a bum because you're living out here in your truck or your car or your van or you know some sort of uh, quote unquote broken down RV. That if you don't have the trappings of uh, wealth and resources, that there's something wrong with you, and 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 that, and, and this is actually you know becoming uh, something that people are interested in because. They see us out here in our vehicles, in various states of disrepair or various states of cleanliness, and they wonder, wow, you know, how can people do that? And now suddenly we have activists going around saying, this is the way you're supposed to live. You people back there, you don't know what you're talking about. So in the second half of this podcast, I'm going to continue this sort of line of thought and and, and get out what I feel needs to be gotten out here. And, uh, and and then we'll go on from there, and I'll go get myself a steak. Let's not forget Ryan Plumbing and Heating in St. Paul. These are the guys who, when it comes to keeping all of your systems operating right home plumbing, heating, and air conditioning. You want reliable service, that is Ryan Plumbing and Heating in St. Paul, right on University Avenue for 70 years, 651-224-4771 in St. Paul, in Minneapolis, 612-927-6488. They go back, as I said, four or five generations in St. Paul, quality replacement and repair of all plumbing, heating, and air conditioning systems, residential and business. Big thing right now are frozen pipes, and potential freezing pipes. I've been talking about it, I've been telling people, you do not want to deal with that. Now, it ties into updating your older home, especially in St. Paul, people are living in very old homes. Those systems go back over a hundred years. There are new systems which can help you with all sorts of these problems particularly saving money on water and other things and so call Ryan and ask him about it if you want to know more click on their banner at the top of the page at the you guys have heard me talk about Carl Jung i've read every book Carl Jung has written i spent many years reading Carl Jung from the psychology of the unconscious to many many other things I will often hear Jung invoked these days to justify almost any kind of behavior because somebody read a book in which someone basically um, paraphrased or quoted Carl Jung in one way or another. Carl Jung was an anthropologist who... Uh, interned under uh, Freud and became uh, a psychologist, and really, by combining his knowledge of anthropology at the time uh, with what he learned about psychology, he discovered what is called the collective unconscious. And so that was the beginning of his uh, contribution. He also uh, did a lot of work on archetypes, which are psychological types, uh, which since then Much better research has been done so that we can, you know, personality type people in different ways. And even that is problematic. But he was one of the first people to do that. And his his source for that, to to be quite honest with you, was ancient Chinese medicine and astrology. So, you know, that's what I think is interesting. One of the things about uh, charlatans is they will often talk about the collective consciousness well there's no such thing uh, as a jungian concept of collective consciousness uh, my understanding of collective consciousness is that it's the sum total of all of our uh, you know a, a, a conscious communications uh, with each other and the internet and everything else as a sort of collective consciousness but in fact with jung it was about a collective unconscious in other words the unconscious mind and the superconsciousness and the connection between the two which are not accessible uh, by the conscious mind i did a whole podcast about that and so these uh, rather complex concepts are often presented by various charlatans as uh, justifications for what you should do and uh, Then, uh, by extension, uh, passing judgment on things like the Industrial Revolution, the Agricultural Revolution, and now the technical or technology revolution and subsequent revolutions that will occur. The idea that they, the people who are never defined, um, the evil capitalists or they, those people that run the companies, they want to convince you to become a slave and work in their corporations and be exploited for your whole life. Uh, but there are people, and I grew up with people, whose dads worked at GM or Ford or they worked for uh, US Steel or Thrall Car or they worked for Standard Oil uh, downtown in Chicago or, or any of these other companies at different times. Some of them were laborers, some of their dads were you know, uh, in middle management, and they had very nice lives. They seemed to enjoy their lives. Uh, they they didn't feel put upon and they didn't feel that the the company was, quote-unquote, exploiting them. Now, if you're like my dad, my dad once got into a huge argument with his kids at a party and he said, I'm proud to be exploited. I'm glad that someone decided to exploit my skills and my knowledge because I have a job and I have a life and you don't. <laughs> so you can see where I'm coming from. There are people who live the corporate life and love the corporate life because they feel that they can make a contribution to society. There are people who live in cities that don't consider the mantails at all. In fact, I can tell you uh, from experience, city life from the outside looks like an anthill. But in reality, when you live in Manhattan or Brooklyn or uh, the south side or the north side of Chicago, uh, you live in a neighborhood and your neighborhood is very much like a neighborhood or a community like these guys tonight we've circled the wagons to cut the wind and we're having a community dinner if you don't like the community that you're in or if you get tired of the community you're in you get on the train and you go two stops up and you're hanging out with people that you've never seen before but when you live in a local community in a big city you get to know people you get to know the dry cleaning guy you get to know the guy that works over at the laundromat you get to know the guy who works at the corners uh, you know gas station and you know those people and they know you so it is like a small town or a small community and i think this is one of the things that people really don't understand about how cities developed Going back to the early 1900s, really the the 1850s, when this country started to develop in the Western sphere, uh, farmers had to have some central location to buy their stuff, their finished goods, and to bring their goods to market, or to bring their goods to, uh, you know, uh, a rail line or uh, to the barge to take it down river or whatever. Going back to the very beginning of this republic, so the idea of a city is not an anathema to the human being uh, hunter gathering you know yes was a natural development of uh of human kind i think and an improvement and it's often said that the actual the people who developed farming were probably the women because uh the man would go hunt and then to supplement their their diet and to supplement their uh community they began to farm because they figured they figured out that they could and they began to domesticate animals. First, you know, animals like canines, and later other kinds of animals, so they could improve their diet, they could improve their standard of living. So, when we get into the standard of living part of it, we get into this thing called the wanting. And I've often talked about the wanting as being when you're trapped in keeping up with your neighbors and chasing the so called American dream by debt, with debt. Uh, and you feel that you have to have a Hudson Blanket or you have to have this kind of car or you have to have Berber carpeting in the basement or something like that, yeah, you know, you're gonna, once you get in that treadmill, uh, you are going to be controllable. But, if, you, if you're if you wise about what you do, and if you can, uh, even in a city environment, if you can put off uh, pleasure based on consumption and you can save money and invest money, well, given the fact that you're able to earn at a certain point, your life can be vastly improved. And then when you're 65 years old, you can take uh, your really nice RV and you can go become a nomad, or you can do the van life thing. To take people who are in that and, and providing those services and those functions or starting businesses or working in management at businesses or laboring in businesses across the world and say, you're living an unnatural life and you should, you should quit that job and come out here and live with us, would be a, if everyone did it, it would be horrible. And if everyone did it, it would be a vast reduction in human productivity, and that's the reason for the Industrial Revolution. We've had a long history going back at least 10,000 years of general improvement in human productivity from agriculture to industry to technology and so on. And these are the things that people uh, have developed to improve their productivity. If you tell everyone they should do this or they should do that, eventually you will have a lack of productivity and you will have anarchy. And that is not society. So this is not a society out here. This is a bunch of people who've decided in in, in all generally individually that it would be a good idea to be a nomad and fun to be a nomad and fun to do. And it is fun, but it's a certain special kind of person that can do this. Um, You know, I had come to the end of the road in my corporate life. I'd started a business, wasn't earning as much as I wanted to. And I was also talking about politics, which I didn't particularly like anymore because I felt I'd come to the end of the road. And I thought it's better for my content if I hit the road and go do this. I don't think I could go back to a corporate job. I don't think I could go back to an air-conditioned radio studio or a heated radio studio on a cold winter day back in Chicago or Minneapolis, because this is a great life for me after I had done All of those things. After I'd worked in New York at the number one station in New York, after I'd worked at Chicago, I'd worked in St. Louis, I'd worked in Minneapolis, I had done market research, I had done all those things. And I don't find fault with that life. But at some point, you want to make a decision to do something else. So after all of that, I decided, you know what, I don't need all this stuff. I'm going to go out and 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 find a new way to live because I wanted a an alternative lifestyle. That's why they call it an alternative lifestyle because not everyone can live this way. To suggest that if you're the company, you're a company uh, CEO or you're a mid-level manager at a social media company, or you're a lawyer or whatever, or you're a laborer even, you work at uh, I don't know Safeway or something. Uh, to suggest that there's something wrong with you and that you're living an exploited life and that what you really need to do is throw it all uh out and and hit the road is to assume that you know what's best for everyone and uh most of us and i think i could say this with absolute uh, sincerity i've read every book by young i wouldn't presume to tell you what your problem is in a million years I wouldn't presume to expand Jungian philosophy to all of society because I also know that the concept of society, the history of society, the history of geopolitics, the history of economics, the whole kit and caboodle, these things are very complicated. They don't fit, these these templated explanations might work from a distance, but when you get into a problem, they don't necessarily work because they don't necessarily take into account the complexities involved in any particular subject, whether it's sociology or economics, or you know uh, the science of uh, building companies and managing people, management uh, and so forth, and motivating people. And Carl Jung's uh, observations, especially early on, were monumental in terms of their impact on Freudian psychology and the practitioners of Freudian psychology. But uh, later on, uh, his, his observations were uh, and, and I guess you could say his research was uh, significant in its impact on, uh, on uh, sociology and the study of so, uh, society and a whole generation of baby boomers coming up in academic circles in the United States in the 50s, 60s and 70s, so uh, that's true. However, it has recently been pointed out uh, that a lot of uh, Young's conclusions were not supported with research. They were basically conclusions that he drew from his experience as uh, a doctor, uh, to a certain extent uh, from uh, patient-doctor discussions, but a lot of it wasn't supported with, uh, with research. It was, it was his opinion about A, B, or C. And the thing about Young is he wrote in German and it was translated to English. And the English language, uh, the translation of German to English, like the translation of Russian to English, is rather beautiful in uh, in its read. So the translations, I think, did a lot to sort of give uh, this feeling that this stuff had been written in stone when a lot of it was just his observations. So you have to take that into account when you are making extrapolations uh, based on young to society as a whole, especially today, considering all of the uh, aggregate data that we've been able to assemble on human beings and their behaviors. Finally, I want to say this because I want to talk about the evil capitalists. That this is a, this is basically nomadic. This is nomad populism, and populism is a useless. Uh, political philosophy, and it's a useless way to live your life, which is the little guy's getting screwed. The little guy's always getting screwed, even though today's little guy lives at a standard of living that would have been reserved for kings 500 years ago. It's really, as little as 300 years ago. Uh, today's little guy uh, lives at a level that would have been reserved for kings. My God, sitting in a 23-year-old uh, uh, ambulance with a cooler and a computer and a bunch of water and some coffee waiting to have stakes because uh robert's uh refrigerator died is 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 a king's life by any measurement 300 years ago so if evil capitalism pulled us out of tyranny in the form of monarchy or in the form of uh you know demagogues uh, depending on what kind of immigration history you have if, if capitalism pulled people out of that and gave them a better life and enabled them to raise their children, regardless of whatever you think their mental health is, which I wouldn't even begin to make an analysis of what somebody's mental health is from afar, regardless, uh, people think I'm crazy. Uh, am I crazy? You know, you may think I am, but it's it, capitalism is not evil. It just is. It's a system of distributing goods and services and pulling wealth uh you know, uh, to get things done. And it, as I said, some people thrive in corporate life and they will always thrive in corporate life. In addition to all of the stuff I've talked about in this podcast, you say you're going to come out here and the nomad lifestyle, this independent, you're free of anything and all. And uh, the anthill of modern life is what's driving people out here. And that is an, an unnatural way to live in all of the. The, uh, the things that follow from that i would just like to point out that uh, especially here in courtside we are all on bureau of land management land uh you know when we go and we go to national forests or parks we are on uh, national land we are on you know land which is administered by the department of agriculture whether it's a national park, you know, a Forest Service Park, uh, or, you know, free camping, or a Bureau of Land Management, or Fish and Wildlife, whatever... This is all part of the Department of Agriculture, generally speaking, which is the government. And if you have nothing but anarchy and no one's working, they're just living off the land and there's no productivity, guess what? There's not going to be any money to maintain these uh, federal recreation areas. And we are all thankful that we have them because they do allow Americans to be part of and touch nature if they can you know, have have the respect for it. Uh, But without the, uh, the industrial revolution, without the technical revolution, and so forth, these, you know, national areas would not exist. If you have nobody paying taxes, and you have anarchy, and no productivity, and no economy, well, you don't have any gas, you don't have any fuel, you don't have any food, and you don't have any federal land to enjoy. Uh, so you can pretend that you're absolutely independent of any and all. I am thankful that there are people back in the world working hard to keep society together so that I can come out here and be a nomad. (laughs) Being a nomad is not an easy life. It has to be a choice. Those of us who do it full time will tell you this is dangerous sometimes. i I don't tell my sister that i don't particularly feel like it's dangerous but it can be it's difficult it can be cold it can be hot it can be scary when things break down uh you have to work to build uh community associations you can talk all day long about how human beings are pack animals but if you want to be part of a community like this tonight uh you have to work at it you have to you have to build trust and you have to be trustable and you have to trust and that's not easy i don't see how that comes naturally there's a lot about this that is difficult and i wouldn't recommend it to anyone unless they're willing to say i am going to throw caution to the wind and do this because i want to do it i've always wanted to do it since i was 12 years old well great come on out you know be prepared for difficulties but maybe your corporate life is better. Maybe your quiet little corporate life as a nurse or as a you know, laborer isn't so bad back in the world. Maybe you're just uh, restless and you need a hobby. I don't know. But then when you make the decision to cut it loose and say, I'm gonna come out here, the very first thing you have to understand is you're gonna make mistakes. Sometimes those mistakes are gonna end up causing injury sometimes uh you're gonna have difficulties and sometimes you're gonna feel like why am i doing this this is really hard why why would i do this and that's the nature of it i love it because for me it's a challenge every day and and i love a challenge so for that extent i agree with people who say that it's a natural form of living if you have the uh uh, orientation to be able to live this way but it is by no means something you should do because somehow this is a natural way of life. It's just another thing people do. Yeah, I I, I had to say something because there's a lot of stuff floating around out here that... Uh, and we've been sitting here talking about it. Uh, there's a lot of stuff floating around out here that's just really irritating uh, by certain people who have YouTube channels uh, telling people things that... Uh, that may or may not be true as though they are true. And I felt like I had to say, there's another side to this and another point of view. And it's not religious and it's not political. It's just common sense. Thanks for listening to Podcast 1087. Podcast 1087. The Bob Davis Podcasts.